0: Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is January 30th, 2014. This is episode 1291 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, I've got a good one for you today. I've got Kermit Jones, who is the author of a new children's book series based around a character called Prepper Pete. And Prepper Pete is an ant. Where have we seen this before? Anyway, uh, we had a great conversation with Kermit. The first part of the interview, there might be a few little technical bumps in the road. I actually had to uh, end the interview with him yesterday and then finish it this morning. Uh, it ended up being longer than planned because of that. Sometimes when you start and restart, you end up finding a lot of cool stuff. So it turned into a great interview. And a great discussion, not just about his books, but on prepping and with kids and parenting with kids in general. Uh, those of you who are parents, I think you'll really enjoy this one today. And those of you who are not parents, but maybe someday, it's a good place to start. And uh, those of you who used to be parents will have, like I did, uh, I used to be parents, let's say, used to be parents of young children will have some uh, real throwbacks uh, during this conversation. Used to be parents, that's not, you know what I mean. Anyway, before I get into that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, westernbotanicals.com. I always try with any type of uh, anything that I feel that my body needs uh, to start off with the most gentle, natural solution possible. And that makes me a huge fan of herbs. And I believe in herbs both for if I'm out working, I get really kind of sore, I take an anti-inflammatory from Western Botanicals. It's mostly, there's some other things in it, but it's mostly made up of turmeric. It's a, an herb used in Indian cooking. And it works great. It works every bit as good for me anyway as... You know, ibuprofen or Tylenol, and it's certainly safer and less likely to do damage to my body. I also believe that there's other things that we can be taking on a regular basis that are tonifying to our bodies, that make us more resistant. Like garlic would be one of those. Well, if you can think about it from any level, if it's if it's an herb and it's legal, it's at Western Botanicals, just highest quality stuff all either organically grown or wildcrafted. If you need some help figuring out what you what you need to pick out for yourself, pick up the phone and call them. Uh they'll help you do that. They're real people that really care about you. And hey, how about this? They have a discount program. It's 50 bucks a year. And uh if you sign up for it, you get 25% off everything that they uh, that they have and then it's $25 a year for consecutive years. Uh but if you are a member of my support brigade, you get the whole first year free. You get it for free. So MSB members, they support you by giving you a $50 membership, which pays for your entire MSB. By the way, if you use their banner on the uh, Survival Podcast website, any listener can get that $50 membership, whether you're MSB or not, for 25 bucks. And that's a good deal as well. So check them out today, westernbotanicals.com. Next up today, knifekits.com. Making knives is something that seems really kind of complicated. Like a, you know, and and making big, you know, beautiful high-end custom knives, it takes a lot of skill development to be able to really do that. But the truth is, anybody can at least get started and learn how to make basic knives and make custom stuff that's unique to you. And You can learn how to do that at KnifeKits.com, and whether you are a master bladesmith or you are just getting started and need a kit, some handle material, and maybe even a DVD or some books to help you figure out how to do your first project, you'll find it all at KnifeKits.com, and they have a massive selection of Kydex and Kydex kits as well, not just for knife sheaths, but for other things that you can do with Kydex. Check them out today, KnifeKits.com. Uh, they also do a discount for the member support for Gate. I believe it's either 5 or 10% off everything they sell. So if you're MSB, make sure you get your discount when you order from Knife Kits. On that note, MSB discount vendor of the day, Simply Cleansing, uh, owned by Patrick and Emily Roarman. Patrick, of course, is the guy behind MT Knives. Well, they also have a site that sells uh, natural products like uh, aromatherapy oils and soaps. And they give you 15% off of anything that you uh, buy from their site if you're an MSB member. Uh, great segue into the MSB. If you haven't joined yet, these are three reasons to join right here. How about $150 worth of free ebooks the day you join too? How about every episode of TSP ever produced in zip files? And how about supporting the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode? That's right. You get off the air today if you think the show's worth 20 cents an episode, consider joining, and all of the discounts will pay you your investment back over time. Military, law enforcement, peace corps, active duty, and prior service, and first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and uh, firefighters, all of you guys do qualify for a discount if you just simply email me. Uh, with service discount in the subject line and tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did and I will get back to you with a uh, special discount code to save you even more money. Please email me for that discount before you join, not after. Um, with that time to get into our history segment today, and uh, today's kind of a first. I think they needed a little bit of work on formatting and figure out because they've they got a bunch of them in the TSP wiki now. But uh, this one's actually uh, Alex's, uh, Alex Shrugs uh, stuff is now going into the TSP wiki, available at tspwiki.com. And uh, he has several every day, and I usually pick one. But now you'll be able to use the link and not go to Wikipedia with a bunch of random crap. You can go see all the work that Alex does. And all, if you are really wanting to know more about history, man, this is great stuff, including a tremendous, uh, really a great job he does in finding additional links and resources to learn more about things that perk your interest. Uh, the one I'm pulling from Alex today is Central Switzerland comes into being. Uh, the three cantons of the forest join to create the democracy of the valley of the Schweiz, or Swiss. The name comes from an old high German word, uh, for burning and probably refers to cleaning Clearing of the forest for the building of the town of Schweiz. but the as a whole they won 't call themselves Schweiz until fourteen ninety nine when other countries begin calling them Schweizer. This is similar to calling Englishmen Brits or British because they come from Britain. The Swiss will like the name Schweizer so much they will call they will use it themselves and for now but for now they will call themselves the Confederacy. And the charter, they write, is an inspiring document. It reads a lot like the Constitution of the United States. It's a good beginning. In Alex's take, he has a little bit of the uh, the switch charter, how it begins. It says, The name of God, amen. Honor and the public will are promoted when leagues are concluded for the proper establishment of quiet and peace. Therefore, know all men that the people of the Valley of Uri, the democracy of the Valley of Schweiz, And the community of the lower valley of Undwalden, seeing the malice of the age, in order that they may better defend themselves in their own, and better preserve them in proper condition, have promised in good faith to assist each other with aid, with every counsel and every favor, with person and goods, within the valley and without, with might and main, against one and all, who may inflict upon any one of them any violence, molestation, injury, or may plot any evil against their persons or goods, and in every case each community has promised to secure with others when necessary, at its own expense, as far as needed in order to withstand the attacks of ev- evildoers to the uh, to avenge injuries, to this end have sworn a solemn oath to keep this without guile, and to renew these presents. The ancient form of the League, also confirmed by an oath. It actually makes me think more of the Declaration of Independence. We pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That's that's what it, make, it makes me think about that far more than our Constitution. And it happened in the year 1291 in the Valley of the Swiss, or Spice. And a lot of things that we think of being new ideas are really not that new, including ideas like a democracy. Of course, this nation is supposed to be, anyway, a republic. We'll hear more about republics as we move on in history in later episodes. But with that, I want to say, hey, Kermit, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you, sir. Great to be here. Um, you have a kind of an interesting angle here. We're talking about prepping with kids and... Uh Working with kids, and I believe you've got um, a book out on prepping with children. How did you come to the, the idea that this is something that needed to be done and that maybe you were the guy to do it?
1: Well, uh, I actually had started I uh, first kind of prepping intro. Uh, Avalon the Retreat was a novel I'd read, and I liked it so much I said, you know, I could probably write my own prepping novel, and one of my characters has kids because, you know, obviously I have four young ones. And uh, so my question became, well, how does he introduce this to his children as, as a backstory? And as I started going through that backstory, I started going, you know, the typical you go Google and look for information to see what you can find. And I came up short. I mean, there was nothing out there at all in the area. And so I kind of said, well, I guess somebody needs to fill that gap. And uh, I have a lot of story time with my kids that I kind of make stories up as we go and started uh, talking about a, an aunt named Prepper Pete. And that's kind of where it kind of took off and it's just been going steady ever since.
0: So other than like what you've read to kind of waking you up, I mean, obviously a guy that's writing about this with kids, you probably got kids. So my question is maybe how many kids you got and, you know, what guy you started with prepping, you know, beyond just kind of having your eyes open by one book. Like were there certain things in it uh, when you started to kind of examine it that pulled you in deeper? Or was it maybe even just thinking, hey, someone's got to look after my kids and that person's going to be me?
1: Right, uh, that's a great question. Um, I do have four kids, ages uh, 10, 9, 6, and 4, and so they're all girls, and uh, I kind of grew up very, I'm a country boy, I you know, grew up rural Virginia, and uh, we serve tea suite by default, no stoplight in the county type thing, uh, so I kind of grew up with a self-sufficient mindset as far as, you know, some things you just do yourself, and uh As I was kind of looking through, uh, I started getting into the, the, I guess, the prepping. I don't want to say the prepping movement because my wife and I have always tried to live fairly responsibly in what we do. Uh, But, yeah, it basically comes down to if I want my kids to be prepared as a parent, it's my responsibility. I don't have the option of of passing that on to someone else. Uh, I don't consider that the, the government's responsibility. That's my responsibility to have my kids prepared. And I think a lot of times uh, people, they get tunnel vision when they're doing the whole, uh, they're prepping preps, uh, getting ready for a a scenario, whatever that scenario may be, be it after a storm or natural disaster all the way up to solar flares and economic collapse. Uh, And they kind of think that, well, the kids will just be there, and they're going to follow orders and and do what they have to do. But they don't realize that, you know, kids kind of have to be prepared as well, and it's a different type of preparation than adults have. And if you don't think through it, then you have a tendency to kind of screw it up uh, very easily. Um, if you've ever seen, um, well, I know you've seen uh, shows like Doomsday Preppers. Uh, I'm not saying there's no merit to the show, but I think that a lot of times the way you see they're doing their parenting, uh, what I call parent, uh, parent, parental prepping, uh, is usually the way not to do it. Uh, they're scaring their kids. They're doing it in a way that gives their kids nightmares. And I just I don't think that's necessary. I think that kids, if they're approached properly and at the right appropriateness, uh, you can prepare them just as well, and hopefully that's what Prepper
0: Pete's going to do. Well, you know, can you kind of maybe talk a little bit more about that, like why it's important uh, for Preppers with children to include their children, not just from a standpoint of making sure you have, I mean, I think most Preppers that get anyway serious about it, you know, when they put food aside, think, while money want to make sure it's enough for everybody. And I think most of them even at least get to the point where they, they realize after a while, no, Johnny's not just going to eat rice and beans because I say so, especially <laughs> in some of these things that are more of an everyday disaster. Um, and they, t- they you know, address that. But they generally, you're right, a lot of times parents don't involve kids at all. They don't talk to them about it. The, the rationale sometimes is I don't want to upset them or scare them. But when I look at a family, I see a team. Even if, if some members of that team are extremely young, there's always something that they can do to be uh beneficial to the team's effort. And there's always if, if even if you got a kid that's really young and cannot really do a lot, the fact that they're not completely freaked out lets other people free to do things. And if they're not mentally prepared, you know, then, then that could be a real issue as well. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, you covered about six major areas. (laughs) Agree with all of them. Uh, I would say there's a couple of things you can look at, a couple of different ways. The first one is, uh, you know, if you're stocking up lots of food, your kids see you doing it. Uh, You know, parents that think their kids don't know where the guns are or don't know where stuff is, uh, a lot of times they're being a bit naive. And I think that it's important uh, to realize that your kids are seeing this, they know what 's going on, and so explaining the reasoning behind it is a comfort level to them, and a lot of it for kids comes down to security. you know preparing for uh, a situation and telling your kids that, and then the reality of what 's currently happening kids can 't distinguish sometimes, so you really want to be careful to explain hey we 're doing this just in case um, and you know you can use examples of things that actually happen, you know, like storms or something like that, but sometimes there 's bigger stuff, and there are bad people out there, and your kids need to be prepared but If you're talking to your kids about the importance of it, uh, I think one big aspect of that is operational security or OPSEC. Uh, You know, your kids, if you tell them why it's important that they not tell uh, their kids, their friends at school, hey, my mom and dad have a lot of guns or food, uh, that's a very big thing for a preparedness thing that a lot of parents, I don't think, even take into consideration. Uh, But your second, the second big thing that I think you mentioned was uh, kids need to feel useful. And so that could be something as simple as, uh, let's say that, for some reason you've got a bug out bag and your kid's got one uh, and you want to build a fire instead of taking your pack off and, and building a fire with what's in your pack. If you can go to your kid and say, Hey, you know, let's, let's use what you've got and show the kid that they're contributing to it. Or even if it's a small, small job, like go and collect firewood or something like that, uh, giving them that, that ability to contribute to the situation, not only calms them, uh, but it also, it also focuses them on something that instead of you dealing with a hysterical child, uh, you've actually got something that's con- someone that's contributing, and they, they feel they're contributing, and they feel like um, they're a part of it as opposed to just being an add-on, and that's really critical for kids pretty much in any situation. Uh, even, even in a non-emergency situation, age-appropriate chores for children, uh, that helps prepare them with the thinking skills that they need for anything down the road that might be big.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of things, too, that we can have kids do that I think people kind of overlook, like... If you have a really little kid and you have kind of a medium sized kid, so to speak, one of the functions that that, 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 you know, middle aged youngster can do when mom and dad are seeing a certain thing is simply keep an eye on the littlest one. I mean, and that's, that's a huge thing because it lets you a little bit more free to take care of things and get things accomplished that maybe neither of the children can do, but the, but the ones at least old enough to like, Make sure that you know the other kid doesn't get hurt, or walk and off. to at least alert you if they, tr- you know, even if they do something that they can't stop them from, at least alert you so you know at least you got eyes on them, and now you can see to something that needs to be done. Yeah,
1: and that that's a that's a phenomenal example. You know, and I've got my my ten year old and nine year old daughters. They're they're fairly responsible. They, uh, you know, my ten year old can pretty much cook a meal if she needed to on her own. Uh, the nine-year-old is definitely coming along, but they're both, I'm perfectly comfortable if I said, hey, you need to watch your two younger sisters and make sure that they don't get hurt or they stay out of trouble. Uh, I have complete confidence they'd be able to do that for even a couple of hours if I needed to go take care of something. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a key skill that you have to explain to them also why it's important and what they need to do.
0: So where do you really think that people should start when it comes to prepping with their kids? I mean, uh, again, there is a concern that some people have that, you know, if I, if I tell them about this, they not worry about it, and it may never happen, so why upset them? And then, you know, people start to realize, hey, we really should do this. Right. But then they also have that same concern, of thinking, how do, I, how do I do this without making it too scary or worrying them beyond where they should be worried? I mean, honestly, kindergartners should be worried about, you know, not having somebody notice when they pick their nose should be one of the <laughs> biggest worries in life. Right.
1: I think it's important, uh, you know, and I'll be up front, I, I think it's critical, actually, that parents have a responsibility to protect their children, and that means ensuring that they have an opportunity to have a childhood. So, you know, if you're always talking about doom and gloom and what could be coming, that, that's not, not necessarily the way to go about it, but uh, letting them know that, hey, you know, in uh, you know, Prepper Pete's tagline, I think, says it well. He says, some people prepare because they're afraid. Our family doesn't have to be afraid because we're prepared. Um, and if you teach your kids those critical thinking skills along those lines, I think it, it's a different approach. But as far as where to start with kids, um, you know, the, I wrote the book, uh, The Prepper P Prepares. It's it's supposed to be a launching point. You know, the illustrations. You can talk to your kids about different stuff. If, whatever reason you prepare, it covers a pretty wide range. Uh, and you can just explain to them, Hey, these are some of the things that we do. And and the book's pretty pretty open, pretty non-judgmental, uh, pretty. Uh, good opportunity, I think, to go in that direction. But we actually – I've actually got another book coming out. Uh, there's a gun safety book coming out soon because I, I think that that's critically important to teach our kids. Uh, the one after that is called uh, Prepper Pete's Be Prepared. And if you're talking about, like, where can you start for preparing your kids, uh, I have a, an acronym called PAGES, and it basically says that your kids should know uh, the phone number, your address, a guardian outside of the family, your email address, and then steps to take in emergencies. And so, you know, how do you start your kids being prepared? Well, if you go through those five things uh, and, you know, it, and you know, consider different emergencies. If the power goes out, do kids know where to go find a flashlight? Uh, can they do it in the dark? If, uh, if a storm's coming, do they know how to, you know, shut the doors and make sure things are secure? Um, so, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, for a an end of the world scenario that you're, you're preparing your kids for. If you teach them the critical thinking skills of how to assess a situation and what steps to take given where they're at and where they need to be, that I think that, that critical thinking is the the key way to get your kids prepared. And then when you start dealing with other situations or other scenarios, if you, if you're talking about bugging out and traveling or uh, camping, you know, you you can do different things to help teach them those things. I, I taught my kids how to build a fire without matches. Uh, I could have said, uh, you know, if you don't if you don't prepare this fire without matches, then we're all going to die of hypothermia down the road. Uh, but instead, I chose a different approach. I said, hey, let's let's build a fire without matches as a challenge, and then we cook s'mores on it. And so they learned the skill, uh, but they did it without being afraid. But they they'll be able to take that skill in any situation. And so I think it, it's critical for parents to look at different. Um, Different steps they can teach their kids, different things they can teach their kids, but but most importantly, just teach them a skill and show them different scenarios it can be applied to, and that probably is the best way to prepare your children.
0: I agree, and I think that one of the things I I would add to that is when you have kids – Taught and trained, like, in this situation, like you were saying, go get a flashlight. And you don't have to, like, when the lights go out, say, Johnny, go get a flashlight. (laughs) Like, when Johnny knows, okay, the lights are out, this is where Dad keeps the flashlights, Dad's on the other side of the house, he's going to be doing whatever he does, but I need to go get a light. And he has something in his brain to turn on a switch, an action. I think this is not just true of children, it's just magnified in children. As long as that mind is engaged with an activity... Panic doesn't occur because I know what to do. Panic occurs in children and adults both because of the belief that I don't know what to do, I can't do anything, and I'm in danger. Agreed. As long as the mind has something to lock onto, the action overpowers the panic. Uh,
1: and that's, that's perfect. Um, my, favorite, my favorite word of the, of the year is uh, self-efficacy, uh, the belief in yourself to accomplish something that you set out to do. It, it's it's not just self confidence, but it's it's doing something, an action attached. And you know your your example is perfect. I had a friend the other day. He the power went out. Uh, he told his kid to go get a flashlight. Kid was gone a long time, <laughs> and he said, "What took so long?" And he said, "Well, the flashlights aren't where they're supposed to be." And yeah. but they went and found one. They, they knew they went a, and found one. Knew an alternate location, but it also taught a lesson of you know flashlights aren't a toy. Flashlights need to stay where they're supposed to be. And uh, and so that you know, teaching all those steps, it has it, it kind of filters out to different areas to to make things beneficial. But yeah, you make a great point there too.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that, that a lot of people will kind of overlook is the power of action and not just of doing something, but of having something to do. Yeah. Um. I you know, generally speaking, when dealing with people in any kind of scenario. Even if I don't need them to do something, if they're freaking out, I will just give them something to do. <laughs> right? Just give them something to do if they think it's important, and especially with kids, that's one of the that's one of the easiest ways to make kids settle down is to say, you know, I really need you to do, you know, this. And it might not make a hill of beans a difference. You might be in a state yourself where you're just trying to sort out what needs to be done, right? But you need time for your brain to process the situation and you need to not have 14 people pulling you 14 different ways to be able to do that. So you just give them something to do, and and when the, by the time they get it done, you figured out what really needs to be done, and they may or may not be part of that solution, but that mind engagement is really important. What are some other things you think are really important aspects of prepping with kids?
1: Um well, aside from explaining the uh, the reasons to them and everything, I think part of it's just kind of walking them walking them through a couple of different of the scenarios or, or different things that could take place. Um, you know, showing them. Well, this is actually a, a fault of a lot of adults, I think. You know, they've got some of the greatest gear that's out there that money can buy, but but they don't know how to use it. And so, if you don't take the time to spend time with your kids and show them how to use the gear that that's around. Uh, you know, that, that giving them something to do, if you've already taught them in advance, that's a lot easier than it is trying to teach them on the spot when when people are in a state of panic. So, you know, that can be great. That can even be quality time spent with your kids, showing them, you know, let them cook a meal from from some long-term storage food or rotating in or out or, you know, take them through some different things. But there's there's a lot of different things that you can do with your kids to show them uh, Thing you know, my, my kids help me help me clean weapons, and we you know we we go through the safety steps. You know how to treat weapons; always treat them as if they're loaded. Uh, and so you can do those things as well. But um, I think another thing is to stop and ask the question. You know, you can ask ideas from your kids. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, and you can say, "Hey, what would you do in this situation? Or what do you think would be a good idea?" And sometimes your kids will give you an idea that you hadn't thought of, um, and what they can do. Uh, but there's also, you know, you got to realize that if you've got a bug-out bag, a bug-out bag for a kid shouldn't look the same as a bug-out bag for an adult. It's going to have a couple of different things in there either to occupy them or to um, – that's age-appropriate to them, and it's not going to be 70 pounds. It's going to be much lighter. But I think that it's important if you kind of think through those things in advance and maybe even have the conversation with your kids, uh, it makes it a lot easier as far as what they can do and, and how they can be prepared. So um but, you know, take a class with them, teach them a class, teach them a skill, uh, tell them that they're helping you by allowing you to teach them the skill, and then you pass that knowledge on at the same
0: time. And that, that benefits everyone in the end, I think. I think so, and I also think they can be useful. I mean, I know I was really useful as a kid when you're talking about cleaning weapons. that You know, at first it was with very, very close supervision, but by the time I was about nine or ten... You know, dad and, and granddad had come home from hunting and, and un, make sure everything was unloaded and hand me two shotguns and say, okay, clean them. And I was excited <laughs> as heck. I thought it was great. I didn't know that I was doing their work for them. You know, I was I'm overjoyed. Excited. I got to hold the guns. I got to clean them. I got to look at them. I got to think about the day I was going to be able to go out and hunt, too, right. like they did. And they were getting their guns cleaned for, for you know, for doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, hopefully they brought something home at the end of the hunt. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, another aspect of this is this that you keep bringing up. This character Prepper Pete. Can you tell us a bit about this guy, Prepper Pete, and why you chose this type of a venue to share your idea of prepping with kids?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, so Prepper Pete. It's it's a children's book. It's forty pages. Um, it's got some it, illustration heavy. Uh, I've had the uh, the the pleasure of being referred to as kind of the Bernstein Bears or the the Dr. Seuss of prepping. Uh. But Prepper yep. Pete just goes through, and he talks about, hey, people prepare. for. He wants to be better prepared with his family. Uh, people want to be better prepared. So he he kind of goes through the different reasons people prepare, be it natural disaster, be it storms, be it solar flare, economic collapse. And then he just talks about some basic things that he does. Uh, and I think you said this at the beginning, but just so everybody's
0: following along here. Prepper Pete's yes. an ant, right?
1: Yes, he is. And uh, and in the book, and I, you know, my illustrator, Christy Brill, she's done a fabulous job. Uh, she kind of we we kind of talked about how can we show a contrast as well. So when it talks about Pepper P preparing, you've got him preparing with his family, then you've got the ant that's the grasshopper off to the side that's not, and so it's kind of the old fable of the ant and the grasshopper. Uh, it kind of it kind of lines up with um, uh, Proverbs six six uh, through eight, where it talks about uh, go to the ant sluggard and uh And they prepare their bread in the summer and gathers their food for harvest, so it's got a couple of different elements that relate to that uh, but he 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 does these things he goes to a gun safety class, he learns to hunt, they learn to garden they learn to collect water uh, they buy a generator for if the power goes out so he He takes these steps to make sure that his family is prepared for multiple situations uh, and I think it explains it in a way that doesn't Doesn't scare kids. It allows you to kind of talk about the opportunity, and you can, you know, parents can use it as they see fit. If you've got a four or six year old, you're obviously going to explain it differently than a than an eight or a ten year old. And so the book has enough illustrations, uh, depth and detail to the illustrations that you can you can kind of run that across the spectrum. I got one guy that said it took him 45 minutes to get through the book. And I'm thinking it's only forty four pages <laughs> but but his kids his kids got frustrated by the end he said because after every page he stopped and talked for five minutes and uh, and that's exactly i mean that that was kind of music to my ears because that's exactly what I want parents to be able to do is to to discuss it as to why they're doing things and even to refer back to it at later times.
0: Um, well I think one of the cool things is with something like this and you you get to have that discussion and it's great to tell them what you think but it, when you can get them telling you what they think then right. you're really on to something.
1: And you can ask the question, you know, what do you, what do you see in this picture and how do you think that works? And you can kind of it's a good way to gauge where your kids are uh in in your I guess your prepping lifestyle. You know, you you're asking what, what's a good way to get kids prepared um in all honesty it it's realizing that preparedness is not of an event it's not just something that you do uh preparedness is a lifestyle and it means that uh you you capture every teaching opportunity every every time something comes up you can explain to them uh how it relates and what they can do um, you know the old trick where you, you stick your arm out and you can tell how much time until sunset by how many fingers are left. Twenty minutes a finger, roughly. You know you can teach that to your kids when you're out for a walk or when you're at the, the Disney World. Who cares? But they they can learn that skill and they can apply it at a later time as well. So I think it works. Out, I think it works really well for that uh, and gives a launching point for parents to discuss with their kids.
0: Just ignore the dogs in the background there. Um, one of the things I think, too, that parents can really use with talking to their kids about stuff like this is a lesson I got from an oncologist uh, many years ago when my mother-in-law was, was uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer. And we were you know talking about how to tell the grandchildren uh, about this, and she happened to still be in, in earshot, and she came back and she said, I can't tell you what to do with this. It's something I deal with all the time with families, but... You all have to make your own decision, but I will tell you, in my experience over the years, and in dealing with families, dealing with these same issues, children are ready to hear the answer when they ask the question. And sometimes you have to tell them things they're not quite ready for because of time. But if they ask, they are ready for the answer, and I think that's a very important component of this.
1: I'd agree, and I think you know it also bears uh, bears mention that you know how you give the answer also is important. So if you can do it in a way that doesn't scare him at the same time, that's obviously a good thing and uh and speaks well to it.
0: Yeah, I think that you know maybe saying something like we got to do this cuz the black helicopter's going to come get us Timmy would be not really <laughs> the best way to explain things and honestly if you're doing that you might need it right. conversations with somebody in, yourself.
1: Yeah, get your gas mask uh, on in 7 seconds or we're going to die.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably not a good thing. Um so, what what does the future hold for you and your kiddos, man? What are you what are you where are you going with this whole thing?
1: Um, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, obviously we're 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 working every day. Uh, we 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 try and do something that's related to to being a little bit better prepared. Um, I think that the Prepper Pete and friends uh a series of books has has kind of opened my eyes to some stuff relating to my kids i've learned a lot because i bounce stuff off them as i as i'm doing it and they see things differently than i see them and so that's that's been uh, pretty phenomenal but you know i think uh just the progression of what prepper Pete does is kind of the progression of how i think a lot of people go through the prepping when they get into it uh you know i'm not a i'm not a I haven't been doing this for five or ten or twenty years i'm not I'm not that kind of a prepper. Uh, but as I work through it in the beginning stages and prepper Pete's kind of been been fresh on the heels of it, uh, it's helped me to see things a little differently. you know, first off, explaining the why do we prepare. Uh, then the second becomes what do you do to prepare? And you know the the second and third book uh, that are coming out after after the next two, so I guess they're going to be the fifth and sixth book. Uh, deal with, you know, survivalist Sam, and he has his uh, his four B's of prepping the beans, bullets, bandages, and bad guys. And so explaining that to my kids as we went through it was kind of fun. And then talking about operational security and uh, bugging out, that's the prepper Pete gets out of Dodge. Um, and then the gun safety has been a, a key one. And so the, the gun of a son actually wasn't originally intended, but but teaching that to my kids and helping them understand, you know, guns aren't a bad thing. They just have to be treated with respect and with knowledge. And so wanting to pass that to them. And then the the general, you know, uh, I got a review over at Survival Blog. Uh, Avalanche Lily Rawls said that uh, Prepper Pete Prepares is a wonderfully politically incorrect book. And uh, that was one of the greatest compliments I had. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you're going to see it in a public school anytime soon because it's got guns in it. But um, but the Prepper Pete's Be Prepared that's coming, uh, that one's really going to, I think, be a, a very wide market. Uh, and I've seen some people use uh, use this, you know, We've all got friends that don't get it. They don't understand why people prepare or what they do, and so uh, I've kind of given the book to their kids, and you know they read it and they kind of come back and go, "Wow, you know, I never understood that it actually kind of makes sense what you are doing." And so my my future is how do I get the most people uh, out there to want to be prepared, and specifically if they've got kids to help their kids prepare, uh, not just for the end of the world as we know it, not just for you know some type of uh, hits the fan scenario, but just on a daily basis, how do we prepare our kids to be ready to face the world and to be able to re- ready to face the future of what what's coming? You know, how do we teach them the critical thinking skills? How do we teach them uh, the ability to problem solve? Uh, so, you know, if you're asking what my future is, my future is to teach this to as many people as will listen, and hopefully to break through to some of the ones that don't want to, uh, to where you know they'll come around and they'll help. I think you know more kids that know how to think critically is going to make our future better regardless of who we are so
0: well you know i I completely agree with that, and when I look at this, what you're making me actually think back to is um General honore, who's well known from his service uh to our nation for a long time, but specifically in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina after the government pretty much fumbled fumbled around with that. For a couple of weeks and couldn't get their arms around it. They sent this guy in and he's the guy. He went in, he squared it away. He got it on track. He got the relief efforts moving forward. And uh, he was on his way to, uh, to, to South Texas and, uh, South, uh, Western Louisiana for Hurricane Rita, which, you know, dog piled right on top of that. And they were getting there in advance and being prepared in advance. And the press asked him, you know, why, why didn't you guys do this with, uh, New Orleans? And he was, you know, the quip that he's most remembered for is you people are stuck on stupid. And, uh, so he's just one of my all time heroes from a preparedness standpoint. And he wrote a book after that. And it wasn't a book like, you know, this is what we should do with our government, or this is what we should do with our military, like a lot of generals are right. It was basically a call to Americans saying, this is what you guys need to do for yourself. This is what I witnessed on the ground. And it was, it was really centered around, in his words, restoring a culture of preparedness in America. And I think that's what we're trying to do, all of us, yourself, myself, all the people in this movement, is not alter a culture, is not change a culture, it's restore a culture. Because I grew up with this mentality. I mean, I remember being a kid back in the late seventies, being a little kid, knee high to a grasshopper literally, and having my grandfather sit me on his knee on the back porch and tell me the grasshopper and the ant story. And in his story, the, the, the grasshopper did not, you know, figure out what he did wrong and the ant didn't take care of him, the freaking grasshopper died. I mean that, that was <laughs> there was not a Disney version of the grasshopper and ant story back then. And if we're going to actually restore this culture, we can reach the people that are older such as ourselves, but a lot of times they're busy, they're they're tied into things, they're just not able to focus. But kids, you know, you can get their attention pretty easily if you're a bit creative. And and if we're going to restore a culture, one of the places we really have to focus on are the kids that are going to be in 20 years making the decisions about what goes on.
1: I agree. I think I think that's great. You got a couple of good points there. Um, yeah, you know, I I like. Uh, I'm with you, General Honore. He had some phenomenal quotes. Uh, you know, he, he said a few things when when I think Hurricane Rita was coming after Katrina. He said America needs to get over it because we can't control everything. Uh, we can't control the storms, and, and then he said the preparations are what they are. You know, the storm yeah. is coming, and so you know I just look at people and I say, what are your preparations? You know, are are you ready? We know we that you know the, the city was not ready for katrina and there were people that flat out ignored the line, the warning signs and that that's what i think kind of shocked me the most and they just you know, there's one this i remember one lady in particular she says i'm just going to sit here and wait till somebody comes to help me and i'm like uh <laughs> i wonder you know i kind of wonder if she's still sitting there um but i think you make a good point you know a lot of times people are so busy uh that they don't think they have time to prepare and now you and i both know that It doesn't take that much time. Sometimes it's just a matter of thinking through it and taking small baby steps. But, you know, uh, Robert Humphrey was a Iwo Jima rifle platoon commander, and and he was an awesome Marine, golden gloves, boxer, Harvard Law School graduate. He developed something he called the dual life value. He said that the one thing that we value is life, and and it's a dual value to self and others. And given a choice between self and others, a lot of times we'll sacrifice for others that we would never do for ourselves. So, when I'm talking to people that are older, you know my age or older, and they basically say they don't have time uh, to prepare they don't have time to do this stuff or maybe they they don't they haven't quite gotten it. Uh, I just kind of stop them in their tracks with a good question and just say, "Hey,, what about your kids? you know do you have the option of saying, "Well, I didn't see this coming, no one warned me uh, I'm sorry, there's no food in the house you know do you, do you, how are you going to feel if something happens down the road and you haven't prepared uh to take care of your kids, or you haven't prepared your children for the future. And you know, a lot of times when you can't get someone's attention, if you bring their children to the forefront of their reasoning, uh, they will stop in their tracks and they will reassess. And I think I think that's part of what our nation uh, we've we've stopped that reassessment. We've stopped that. You know, we haven't stopped to look back at history, and so we're doomed to repeat it uh, these days. And I agree with you; it's a fairly recent phenomenon because when I grew up. Uh, you very much had to plan ahead. You very much had to think what's going to take place, and you didn't just assume that someone was going to come to your rescue. Uh, and so you you took took the steps needed. And so I think you know it's important for us to, when we're trying to reach people to to do it by every avenue available. And if that means asking them about their kids, and, and I even bring out the fact, you know, hey, uh, people say, oh, you're you're one of those prepper types, and I go, well, aren't you? And they go, well, what do you mean? You know, who, who does that? And I said, well, you know, even even the government says you should have three days worth of food on hand. You know, do, do you just ignore that? Do you, do you ignore that recommendation of the Red Cross and you know all these other all these other emergency relief services? And uh, you know, how do you think the people after Hurricane Katrina felt, or the people after Hurricane Sandy, or the people after uh, uh, you know the tsunami? You know, do you think they wish they'd been better prepared? Do you want to be one of those types? And when you start asking questions like that, it kind of makes people really stop and and think. And I think that if we can just get them to that point to where they're thinking, then we we stand a chance of, of re- reclaiming uh, what used to be a, just a, a total American um, uh, mindset. You know, have plenty of guns, have plenty of bullets, have plenty of beans, and be ready for what's coming. And uh, I think yeah, we we've, we've lost that as a culture, but I think it's something that we can regain. It's just gonna it's gonna be a fight.
0: Absolutely. So what are your thoughts on preparing kids to deal with potential disasters during school hours? And, of course, the one that springs to everybody's mind is, you know, a shooting. And that's a horrible thought, but it's something we do have to consider. But I don't think it's the only thing we have to consider. Um, You know, in 2011, we had a major tornado rampage. A lot of these things occurred in the South right in the middle of school hours. And you had kids scared, parents trying to find where their kids were. I mean, to me, there, you know, you can only rely on the teacher to do the right thing so far. And in certain situations, that teacher might not be there to do the right thing. Well,
1: uh, yeah, Jack, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, a lot of times when it comes to incidents that happen at school, emergencies there, uh, you know, teachers are trained in certain things, but teachers have the same issue that everyone does. I mean, sometimes they, they panic or maybe they freeze or they're not sure what to do. And how well you have prepared your child may depend on the safety not only of your child but of other children in the room. Because a lot of times the children in a situation like that are going to look to others, uh, whoever that natural leader is in the classroom. And uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, if you're if you if you're not prepared, then you, you tend to panic or freeze. And so if you train your kids on the steps to take in those emergency situations, then a lot of times they can help maintain a calm head. Uh, you know, if it's a hurricane coming or I mean, a tornado coming, they know to look for a door jam. Uh, if it's a hurricane, they know where the shelter signs are and what to look for and where to go. Uh, so just teaching them those steps to take. And then there's other, I think there's some other really good precautions parents can take. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, we homeschool, but but my children uh, would always have a, I've got a friend, too, that we, we talked about this because his, his children are at public school. Uh, but his kids have a, a prepaid cell phone with them at all times. Uh, they know how to text or get hold of their parents because a lot of times texting works when voice doesn't. So it's good for kids to know that. Um, so they've got that with them. Uh, one one friend of mine, his kids carry a, a small pocket knife to school not not something any not something large. And I mentioned to him, I said, "Well, what if that's against school policy?" And he said, "Well, the safety of my children and parents policy overrules school policy." And I would never, I would never um, recommend people to break school policy. But I think it's important that we weigh the the issues as to what's actually important to us and what what's important with regards to having our children prepared um but you know that that's all the more reason that the pages that i mentioned earlier that children should know their phone number uh, they should know your address they should know a uh, different routes to get home from school not just not just the one on the bus but they should actually know how to walk it if they had to not that you'd ever want to be in that situation and probably some rally points between home and school where you would look for them if you were actually going back to find them uh, something along those lines. So I think I think it's important that our kids be prepared for a school situation and uh just any public situation. You know, what what are your kids going to do if they get lost in a theme park? You know, a lot of times we take I, I, and we actually had this happen with one of my children. Uh I'm I'm sad to admit, but uh, uh but she something happened in a theme park and she actually she knew to go find someone in uniform, she knew to ask for help uh when they got her to where she was going, they they asked her, "Do you know your phone number?" and she said, "Yes." And so immediately she was able to call, and um, but that's because we had prepared in advance. Hey, if something happened, uh, this is the steps you need to take. And so it was a, it was kind of a reinforcement for me of the uh, all the more importance of making sure that my kids know that information. And I think every parent should do that with their kids, and not just on that information, but general skills that that relate.
0: You know, I think that's really important, and you bring something up there that it's been so long since I've had, you know, a really young child to really look after that you, you kind of forget. But one of the important things with that in saying, you know, go find somebody in uniform is, one, knowing who to trust. But the other is, since you've already explained that, that kid knows I'm not going to be in trouble because I got lost. Right. Sometimes little kids get lost, and then they run around freaking out looking for mom because they don't want to admit they're lost because they think they're going to be in trouble for it. <laughs> no, I'm
1: serious. No, you're right. That's great, great point.
0: It's very hard when you're, you know, 28 or 38 or 48 to put your mind into what it's like to be a seven-year-old who's one of your main goals in life tends to not get in trouble, right, not be in trouble for something. Because, I mean, like my son was like way overreacted to what trouble was. He got very upset if he was in, like, it was easy to punish him because you didn't have to do anything. You just had to <laughs> say he was in trouble and that was enough. You know, and, and, you know, that, that's a, a big part of things too. Um, so that's a great, some great points for up there. I'm on your website with some talking points that you have, uh, for situations like this, and you have two that almost seem in conflict. Uh, so maybe I could get you, that could maybe spur a few thoughts here as well. Um, one of them is that, you know, it's a good idea to not talk about what kinds of ways we prepare with others. Like you you tell your kids, maybe we don't need to share everything we do with everybody else. But on the other hand, we do want to share some of what we're doing with other people. Where do you find that balance and how do you explain something like that to kids? Because I agree. I want to inspire preparedness in my community. I don't necessarily want my neighbors to know everything that we have in place.
1: Right. And i have someone that I actually uh have, have been, been talking to recently and it was kinda of funny because we were talking, well, you know, are you a prepper? and they're like, Oh yeah, we've got bam, bam, bam. I was like, Ooh, that's not a very good prepper.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you you don't want to do that. And but they were excited that they had they had connected with someone else that kind of shared the same mindset. And and their response was, Yeah, but you're a chaplain. If we can't trust you, who can we trust? So yeah. point yeah. on that one. Uh but yeah, I do I do think that there's a balance and you know, I a lot of people look at shows even like doomsday preppers and they say, Oh, that's the stupidest thing in the world to go on a show like that. But, but I've actually spoken to a few people on that show that are not, um, on the, on the far edge. And their whole, their whole thing is look one, we don't share everything with the show. I mean, that, that would be foolish. And two, uh, a lot of times they're very vague. You'll notice it on the show. It's kind of hard to find where people live. Sometimes they get false uh, towns even. Yeah. So there's, there's a built in opsec there, but I think, um, I think that questioning the people you're talking to, uh, I, I have a statement that says that uh, one well-worded question is far more valuable than a thousand well-worded statements. And um, and basically what that means is when you're talking to someone you say, hey, you should be better prepared, they may not listen to that. But if you start to ask them questions, well, what would you do if a storm came? What would you do if, if a hurricane was coming? What would you do to make sure your kids are ready? Um, you know, what do you think is going to happen if uh, – If things go south like after Hurricane Katrina and you know, the only people running around are the the looters and they've got guns. Do you think you should have a firearm for self defense or for defense of your family? And so by asking intelligent questions like that, people will a lot of times open up a lot more uh and maybe rethink some of their own even um own thoughts is is to is to the idea of preparedness. And then you can kinda go into the well, yeah, I believe that people should be better prepared. And you know I'm not afraid of where I'm at I'm in a fairly fairly rural area, a lot of farmers in the community, a lot of military, so I'm not afraid to make the statement, hey, I'm a prepper and, and I prepare and, and I have some stuff stored away. Do I have everything stored away in in the the bedroom closet no um, do I have uh contingency plans in other places yes, and so i'm I'm also kind of it's almost not a obscurity through obscurity security through obscurity, but it's almost an upfront of you know I don't mind sharing with you that I'm a prepper and that I prepare but realize a few things you know one don't show up on my doorstep because i can't support you uh you know I, I i will help you prepare but i can't do it for you and i probably won't be there when you get there second off and third if you come through the door um and i'm not expecting you things can go very bad for you <laughs> um yeah. and so i think i think it's you know you can be upfront with it uh but but you it's different between you talking to someone as an adult maybe and you know our topic today is, is kind of dealing with kids. your kids bragging to their kid to their friends, and that that 's the sort of thing you know when you look at firearm issues and accidents that take place it 's almost always one kid wanting to show off to their other other friend and and they don 't realize the respect they should have for the firearm and a lot of times that 's because parents don 't uh, you know like like you said when they when they came home and they, when your grandfather came home or your dad and they brought the gun uh, you you had a familiarity with firearms they didn 't have this uh, this captive hold of of this magicalness type stuff. So, yeah, so integrating them into that when it loses that that um, that mystery that mystery that mystique that's part of it, that's critical in helping your kids understand that. Um, so that's part of it. And, and you know, other things that you can do to help your kids prepare that kind of even go along those lines. Uh, the books that your kids read. Uh, I think, pay, play a big part in that. You know, I grew up watching MacGyver every Monday night. I mean, that was just, it was, that was it. And so I kind of had that attitude. And then and then I, I grew up watching, uh, there's a book called My Side of the Mountain, uh, about a kid that goes and lives on his own. And he talks about, like, not wanting to be found out and, and how he kept it a secret. And so those were kind of formative in a lot of ways to me. And, um, and when I talk to my kids, you know, I try and get them to read some of those books. I don't force it down their throat. But one of the things that came out of it was for my older kids, uh, my 8- and 10-year-old, they like chapter books. So I'm going to write a whole chapter book series called The Survival Kids, and it's like Boxcar Children meets MacGyver meets Survival. Mm. It talks about, you know, down the road it's going to talk about the importance of keeping things uh on the down low, so to speak. That This is kind of our family secret. It's our circle of trust. Um, You know, if you want to tell somebody about it, come talk to me, and we'll discuss, you know, what you can tell them and, and how much. And that, that, you know, if you give kids that kind of credit, a lot of times it'll, it'll work in your favor. Um, you know, you had mentioned kids not being scared, you know, how you react when something happens, like let's say they're lost and they come and get help, uh, you know, and you show up and you go, well, how dare you leave us and how dare you get lost? Like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: You know, and parents fly off the handle and that, you know, you need to, you need to just say, hey, you did the right thing. And
0: that's their fear manifesting as uh, anger, right? And that's, and that's the balance. That's, in parenting, you have to always be mindful of, when you're angry, is it anger that's genuine anger that you need to channel and control as anger, or is it misdirected anger because it's actually fear? Yes. And in that situation, there's no doubt that it's it's, 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 it's fear manifesting as anger. You're right. And, and you know, it, and that's not to say that there's maybe
1: not one or two steps the child could have taken differently to sure. avoid being lost in the in the beginning, but... It's different you, that's not the time to deal with it first off and no. first off, you know kind of a lessons learned of sitting down and asking the kid, "Hey, what could we have done different to prevent this from happening?" A lot of times they know the answer and they'll come up with it and they're going to remember it a lot better than if you just, you know, light into them so to speak.
0: So Well, when your kids back, you're at a park, go on and have your good day for the rest of the day. I guarantee you they're not going to do it again that day.
1: <laughs> you and, got that right. and,
0: and both of you will have a much better conversation about it tomorrow. Than right now, and there's no need to do it right now because again, you can't have a better teaching tool than the fact that it happened.
1: Right. It's, and right. It serves no purpose. Your you're excellent point there,
0: and I think so many people ruin family events over things like this because they fly off the handle over something that doesn't really matter anymore. It mattered right up until you found them, and the minute you found them, <laughs> you know, as long as they're in one piece and, and they're not gone, that you're good. Uh, and what you just learned is they listen to you, so trust that they will listen to you further. Yeah, and you know, I
1: think that's. I read an article a while back, a, a really good one on, uh, can you trust that your kids will do what you say when 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 you need them to? Um, and my parent, my my wife and I look. I'm I'm not by any stretch of the imagination the greatest uh, the greatest parent in the world, um, but I, I've had some great role models, and we've taught some classes on it. And one thing that I've learned is. Uh, The consistency of being a parent and expecting your kids to obey, um, that is critical to their safety. And, and it's not just on that. It's on, it's on any topic. I, I went with a, my wife and I uh, traveled in a car with a friend of ours that had young kids and their kid kept running away. I mean, like every 10 minutes and they would make the statement, if you do that again, we're leaving. But they wouldn't um, leave. Yeah. And the first time they said it, my wife and I looked at each other because, you know, we, we had just gone through this big, you know, we're going to do what we say. And so we never say something to our kids, a conditional statement, unless we're willing to follow through with it. And after, like, the the 10th time of them telling their kid this, I finally was like, you know what, Um, how about I watch him for an hour? And they're like, well, you don't understand. He's just so uh, hard to manage. And, you know, I said, well, just let me have a a word with him. And I, and I, I got down on eye level with him, and I said, look, I have never lied to you. I've never not followed through on something. And if you run away from me, we will go sit in the car for two hours. Do you have any doubt (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I'm not. I'm not willing to say I'm going home. No, no, no. But I'm, I'll pay the price for two hours in the car. Yeah. He, he stayed with me for two hours and yes. never left my sight. And the minute he went back to his parents,
0: he's taking off again. Oh. Yeah.
1: And, and that wasn't – I mean, is that because, like, I'm the greatest thing ever? Is it partly because I'm a stranger or a little bit stranger and he's a bit more scared? Yeah. That, that's a little to do with it. Yeah, but I won't argue those things. But a lot of it came down to when I asked him, hey,
0: do I always say I do, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do? Well, he believed you. And he, that's, he, that's what it came down to. I have, I have grand nieces that we just went through one of these events with, with the whole whining. They whine and cry about everything. Everything's got to be equal between <laughs> the two of them all the time. And I said the next time one of you whines or cries, you're going in the corner. And it happened in two seconds and it was, it was done. It was gone. It was ongoing. (laughs) And uh, I don't think we'll deal with it again because there's absolutely no doubt. And it turned out that my method was without any discussion, almost 100% identical to the method that her parents use of, you know, a timeout. And basically when, when you're done crying about it and you're ready to come back, you just, Pick your own time, but as long as you're whining and crying about it, you're staying there. Um, and I, I realized, like, the, the, the shit, this look on her face, like, oh, my God, what just happened? <laughs> what it was, I'll tell you what it was, the psychology of a child. Oh, my God, it happens here, too. I can't get It happens the exact same way. I think it was it almost like, you know, like, hammered that home, like, this is what happens everywhere. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm going to I'm have to behave for, for you know, Aunt, Aunt Dorothy and Uncle Jack the same way I do for Mom and Dad. Um, so, because, I mean, the first thing Dorothy told the, the, uh, our my nephew and, and his wife when they they talked after that is, hey, she got in trouble. She wanted her to know what we did because it was only right, you know, in our right. opinion. She's like, that's exactly what we do. <laughs> Score. Spot on,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say one one more thing on that. I think that the, you know, it's clear when you see one thing that works to, to see what the exact opposite is. Um, <laughs> I I term it love abuse. Uh, and it basically, it basically goes along the lines of a parent will say, um, and this is the best example I can give other than the, you know, we'll go home. um, If you don't, if you're not in the chair by the time I count to three, I'm going to, you know, put you in the corner, I'm going to spank you or, or whatever it is, whatever it is you're going to do. Um, and you go one, two, and you see the kid kind of get ready and then three. And as soon as you say three, they bolt for the chair because you start coming for them. Yeah. Most parents will say, Oh, well, they, they did what they were told. No, 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 no. <laughs> they, yeah. They didn't do what they were told because the no. kids, you know, what was, And and I'll ask my children, if you ask my kids, they'll tell you, uh, you know, does daddy say we do what he says he's going to do? And they'll always say yes. You know, if I tell them, Hey, if you do this, I'll give you a cookie. And they remember like 11 o'clock at night that I promised them a cookie that day. You know, they'll come to my bed and they're like, daddy, you promised me a cookie and, and I'll, I'll negotiate sometimes. I'll be like, "If you wait till tomorrow, I'll give you two cookies." <laughs> and, you know, but but if they say, "No, I'd like my cookie." I I can't hold That's that good. against them. Yeah. Um so I'll I'll, you know, drag my butt out of bed and go get them a cookie and sit up with them while they eat it. And next time, it you know, it reminds me to give it to them sooner. Yeah. And it, you know, and I said, "You know, next time, next time this happens, you need to remind me sooner or we may have to wait till the next day." Yeah. So but they know they know the the rules, they know the conditions, they know the reaction they're going to get from me. Uh, nine times out of ten, uh, you know, I, I try not to react, but I think that that's critical for parents that that we have that kind of uh credibility with our kids because it also translates to when you say, uh, I love you no matter what, and I'll, I'll never be mad at you for telling me the truth. When you say those things, but they just heard, well, he's going to, you know, he's going to put me in a timeout if I don't get in the chair by three, but I didn't get in the chair yeah. – and he didn't put me in a timeout. So if he says he loves me no matter what, how do I know? Because it's 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 not a a good or a bad to a kid. It's is it credible or not? Is, is it what, consistent? Yeah. Is what my parents say? Can I believe it's always going to be true? And so I never I try to never make promises that I know I can't keep. Um, and that means I have a lot of conditional statements. I'm not arguing that. But my kids understand the reason for that is so that I maintain my credibility with them. And, I, and they'll say, oh, well, if means no. And I say, does it really? Can you give me Can you give me some examples? And they'll start going through a list. And, you know, it may be 70, 80 in my favor of, of if means yes. But they realize that I, I say that for a reason. because I, yeah. Because when I say something's going to happen, they know it's going to happen. So, you know, preparing your kids, sometimes it means as a parent having to take a look at yourself. And really asking why you do what you do and how you can do it better.
0: Well, if you watch the TV shows, and there are a few decent ones on stuff like this, the the, the people that always come into a disruptive family almost never focus on the kids. You know, they they, they end up focusing on the parents because it's, <laughs> it's almost always the case that the kid is a reflection of the parent. Now there there are kids that are just. Difficult is the only word for it, you know. But in most instances, it's no different than if you watch that Dog Whisperer show. The guy comes in and goes, there's nothing wrong with the dog. You guys are not managing the dog properly. The dog does whatever he's conditioned to do. And maybe the dog is far gone, so to speak, because it's been you know, handled inappropriately for this long. So, you know, I know somebody's going to be mad and say I'm saying kids are like dogs. I'm not. Um, but the same thing can happen with kids. If kids have not had conditioning and have not had rules and boundaries and, and things for a long enough period of time, you've got some work to do there to pull them back into kind of a reality check. But if the parents are not corrected, they'll go. the kid will go straight back and probably go further gone than they were. Right. Because that is, that is the boundary point. And like you said, it's like, it's like punishment by love. Right. We're talking about the one, two, three. The one that makes me crazy is the one, two, <laughs> two, and, two a and a half, <laughs> two and three. No, no, one, two, three, done. Right. Let me
1: kill, let me kill it for you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then like one of the things I want to go back to because I think it's important that people key in on this about the whole kids and their feeling about braggery. And why you have to kind of make sure you give them maybe something else to brag about because it's a natural thing. What you, you took me back to being about nine years old when me and my friends were so dumb. We believed that when you looked at the speedometer on the car, whatever the highest number on the speedometer was, was how fast the car would go. It's right? not. So if the car said 180 miles an hour, the car could go 180 miles an hour, right? Right. So it could be you know, whose dad's car is fastest, Right, my dad had this old Chevelle, and it went up to about a buck 80 on the speedometer. The car probably topped out at 120, 130, somewhere in there. But the speedometer said 180. So I was telling him, my dad's car does 180 miles an hour, you know, and 140, 120, whatever was on everybody else's car. My dad would come home real late, and I remember all of us. Dad came home. He got out of the car. He went up the stairs. We all ran around the car. We are all peering in the car and it said 180. Just like I said, I was like, uh huh. See? And there is that in kids that, you know, my dad can beat up your dad type of thing or, or whatever. Or, you know, we whatever. It here. Is. You can only go for free. To, you have to know when you start doing things that you'd prefer not to go out the boundaries of your home or your community that you do have to address that because it is natural. There wasn't nothing wrong with that. That's just kids being kids. Agreed, um, and you know I think
1: I'm not going to say that that uh, you know I'm I'm careful to use TV media as as good examples of prepping type stuff, but <laughs> um, but if you saw the the national blackout from from National Geographic, and you know National Geographic, they I understand they have to get ratings. So if you understand yes. the animal that they are, um, it it's a little easier pill to swallow from the standpoint of that's that's their purpose for existence. So I can't hold them hold it against them. Uh, but on that, but on the uh, the national blackout one, if you had a chance to watch that one, they had the one where the the girlfriend's boyfriend went with them to the bunker. Yep. know Who you're talking about? And you know, and I and I look at that and I just think, well, you know, there's 43 things that the father could have done differently to to maintain proper opsec even even with the boyfriend there. Um, but I think it was a good example of a it's the it's the unplanned element that's going to get you, and you got at least you got at least think through the scenarios of what you're going to do, prepare for them. So, and you know, parenting a lot of times when you're doing that and you're preparing your kids, a lot of times it's stopping and ask the question, why does this appeal to kids? Why do they want to brag about it? What, what alternative, like you said, that's an excellent idea. What alternative can I give them? Um, and you know, there's times as a parent, you might have to go to your kid and and say, you know what? I was wrong and I'm sorry. Um, I didn't mean to put you in a situation like that. I understand, but let's, let's see what we can do to make it better. Uh, you know, a lot of parents are afraid to tell their kids that they've ever been wrong uh, yeah, and I think that that actually damages your credibility more because kids kids see it. That's <laughs> what a kids always say. Well, he thinks he's always right. Right, and yeah. you know, and I mean, thankfully as a father, I know that I'm always right. But you know,
0: sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I let
1: my kids have one just to, you know, <laughs> yeah. anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I think that part of it too, like when you mentioned the, the American blackout. Like They made that guy kind of like a nut job. He was like the actual only guy that was actually prepared. So, of course, <laughs> he had to be crazy. But what really damaged his OPSEC was hyper OPSEC. We can't tell anybody. like He's constantly freaked out. It seems completely over the top. So the people around him then read that energy as being paranoid because it is and think, well, what he's saying can't be that important because you – you know, let's put it this way. If you were on an airplane and it's flying through the air and you hit some turbulence and the captain comes over the microphone and says, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to make an emergency landing. I've got everything under control. Everybody will just be fine. Please stay seated with your seatbelts and prepare to land. You're like, I'm not happy about this, but I'm okay. But if the pilot comes on and goes, uh, 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 we have to make an emergency landing, uh, every, everything's fine. Don't, don't, don't worry. I've got it all under control. Everybody stay seated and, and, and we'll all be just fine. Oh, crap. And it goes off. (laughs) Oh, what's that? What do you think's going to happen on that plane? You think everybody's going to stay nice and calm and seated or is everybody going to start freaking the heck out because they've read the energy, right? Right. Now, the pilot does this. Right. While you're sitting at the terminal and you haven't even taken off yet, the pilot's crazy and you know the pilot's crazy because you can't be making an emergency landing because the plane is sitting at the terminal on the ground. And you can look out and see the little guy putting your baggage in. And hopefully somebody from the airline is going to come take him away before you take off. And if he doesn't, you're going to get off the plane that 's how that guy made his family and the people around him feel like he was the crazy pilot talking about making an emergency landing when the plane hadn 't left the airport yet because they didn 't see the dangers being as dramatic as he did
1: right and and it wasn 't not to say that he didn 't see real danger that existed, um, you know but again, it comes back to uh, my my favorite uh, a well worded question you know instead of when he was talking to the boyfriend he just saying you can't tell anybody he yes just said hey what do you think is going to happen if you if we start giving our food away yes you know, how many people are going to show up at our doorstep what, what how long can we survive if this happens and so by asking those kinds of questions and bringing them into the logic loop um, or the OODA loop as the Marine Corps would say um, then it allows you to it allows you to get your point across but it has the other person answering the questions and. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I tend to uh, remember things a lot better. They mean a lot more when I've come up with the solution than when someone else has told me the solution. So if you can ask people those questions and put them in that situation where they an- are answering with the answers, you know, you're guiding them in a path, yes. But if you just start asking the questions, you know, well, you know, because when people say, oh, you're one of those preparedness nuts. And, you know, sometimes I just if I'm not in a good mood, I'll say, well, I bet the people after Hurricane Sandy wish they were, too. Or the people after Hurricane Katrina or something, you know, something like that. And it's not that I'm belittling the people that were caught unawares or that, you know, because it was a, it was tremendous, but I want to be prepared so that emergency workers are focused on people in greater need. Correct. And so, you know, so by asking that question though, or by engaging them, uh, a lot of times it gets people to kind of go, oh, well, maybe you've got a point. And when you can get them to that, that area of thinking, that's where you, that's where we start to, um, To, I think, bring back that that former American mindset that you had mentioned uh, of, you know, you've got everything on hand, basically, that you need to survive for as long as you need to.
0: I think there's also a point, like, and, and this is a good conversation with kids, too. There are varying degrees of problems and disasters in the world. And in most of them, we would actually be willing to help other people and share what we have. There are things that could go to a point where we have to really conserve what we have because there's a longevity issue with a much bigger problem. Those are the very least likely things, and the most likely things, we need to be out helping other people. But we need to control the how and the when. I think one of the most eye-opening experiences that a person can have, and, and far too few young people in America ever get outside of this country and see it, is to be, I don't care if it's military, I don't care if it's Peace Corps, I don't care if it's in some kind of private service or missionary service, I don't care what it is, to be in a third world country and have surplus food and think you're helping by offering it for free, especially to a, just a small crowd of children who you think can do you no harm. You will end up in fear as they clamor for it and just mm-hmm. climb on you, and that. Human cycle, and these kids aren't starving to death. They're just really hungry and don't know when the next opportunity like this is going to come along. But they all know they will survive tomorrow because they're doing I'm not talking about the middle of the Ethiopian desert. I'm talking about rural communities in places like Honduras where I served where these kids did eat every day. They just didn't eat a lot. And if you take that and imagine that little crowd of children – is now a great big group of very scared, angry, and hungry adults with their own children to feed, the mind starts to understand the danger you can be in when the disaster isn't such that you should be. In other words, we are all going to get through this. But if I can't pick and choose my opportunities to help, then what happens is I end up in one of those types of scenarios and I'm not able to help anybody. And if everybody knows about it, then I become the 7-Eleven during the outage. And you don't want that because as soon as you start telling people no, they start demanding instead of being grateful for what you do provide.
1: Agreed. And I think, you know, unfortunately, if you – I went, I, I saw an interesting thing. You know, I saw it on Facebook. It must be true. Um, but I saw this interesting thing that said, you know, the, the news media didn't cover the, the darker side of humanity after Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Sandy. They didn't cover it very well anyway, but you can still, if you go digging through the Internet, you'll find some things where they were talking about looting. They're talking about, you know, in Hurricane Sandy, um, people were taking lawnmowers and running them next to the generator at night, and then they would steal the generator and run away. And, mm-hmm. you know, you hear the motor running, so you just think, whatever. Um, but people, when they're desperate, will do desperate things, and it doesn't make doesn't make those people evil, um, but it does mean that you have to be careful to protect your family and those you're responsible for. And uh, I think that a lot of people, we're, we're kind of kidding ourselves. We're used to the either the government helping so much or uh, we're used to, we, we feel entitled to food, we feel entitled to education, we feel entitled to all these things. Uh, and we need to be careful to realize, you know, those are those are rights and privileges. Those are things we need to work for. And I think that keeping our family safe uh, in the event of something bad happening is critical. But when people people say, oh, you're preparing for the end of the world, uh, you know, I always am careful to point out there's a difference between preparing for the end of the world and preparing for the end of the world as we know it. Uh, Those those are not the same thing. You know, if I'm preparing for the end of the world, that's my religious view. I'm a Christian. I'm prepared for the end of the world. But prepared for the end of the world as we know it, you know, the end of the world as they knew it for the people at Katrina or Sandy or the tsunami or, you know, take your pick or after a tornado even, that's the end of the world as they know it. And they're either somewhat prepared or they're not prepared. And so I want to be prepared for the end of the world. And I agree with you 100%. Charity should be part even of our preparation that we should be expected, I think, to, to help those less fortunate. We should be expected to help those in need. Um, but we can't provide everything for them if if they're you know if they not willing to do something, if they're not willing to contribute. And I think that's part of what's gotten our country in, into a predicament uh, that, that's getting ready to come to a head is that people have become so accustomed. You know, when you look at uh, I think it was Louisiana that had the EBT system fail, I think it was back in November, and people went in. They they knew they had a dollar on their card, but they got like $500 worth of food. They they escaped the store. They literally, I would call that, stole from Walmart. Um, now, did they do it because their family was starving? Yeah, but but they didn't think twice about it. They didn't have a moral dilemma. They didn't uh they didn't go back and apologize they didn't go back and try and repay it no and walmart got stuck with a bill of thousands of dollars because of people who literally stole food from them and that was not in a violent manner um but it very easily could have been if you know nothing was available
0: well i'll tell you how it would have turned violent real quick is if uh like say a half hour into it walmart caught on to what was going on and said we got to put a stop to this and started denying it and the guy would have been it. i'm entitled to this she got it He got it. The other thing that happened there, and I think this is a subtlety that I never saw reported. The only place I ever heard it was when I talked about it on the air is that was actually a a calm, nonviolent mob mentality. I guarantee you what happened is a lot of people that would not have done this looked and saw other people and realized Mm -hmm. very, very quickly what was going on. As soon as somebody else did it, it made it okay for you to do it, too. This happens with kids. It happens with adults. It's it's a mob thing where a person would never hit somebody, but someone else is doing it, so, hey, I'm going to get in on this. Yep. And it's not even conscious a lot of times. It just it triggers. It's a human nature issue, one of our, our basal flaws. And I think that's a lot of what happened in that Walmart, that somebody looked over and saw somebody dragging two shopping carts toward the counter and went, oh, they're never going to be able to pull. Oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, and then they looked around and saw other people. It's the same thing when a snowstorm's coming. It ain't going to be that big a deal. Guy goes by the store. He needs the bread and milk. Everybody freaks out and buys bread and milk for whatever reason. Grabs a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. He's on the way out, and he looks over, and there's another guy with five gallons and five loaves of bread, and he thinks, oh, crap, I better get some more, too, while I'm here, and then it cascades. Yes. And that cascade failure of systems is what we – that's when you're talking about end of the world as we know it. It's the fact that humans will be irrational – when unnecessary, and that starts to make you question how will they behave when it actually is necessary <laughs> to go a little bit beyond what you consider day-to-day.
1: Yeah, and I have a I have a friend of mine, um, uh, Michael Russin, actually, he's the guy that wrote Avalon, the retreat, that book I told you about, that started me down this road, and his, his statement is, we're nine miles away from anarchy. Uh, you know, if... If the, and my dad has been in the trucking industry for my entire life, uh, but you know, he taught, he talks to me about the frailty of the trucking industry as far as, you know, everything on the shelf is there within 72 hours. Uh, the stores don't keep a, a, a large at on hand supply. So if the oil were to stop, if the grid were to go down, you know, typical situations that some people prepare for, um, if any of those things were to happen and the trucking industry screeched to a halt. Uh, and, you know, imagine stores going without three days of resupply and then people panic. You know, when I was on a, (laughs) right, I admit it, when I was on a ship, I was a little, I was a little, uh, I had a little fun at times. I would, I would spread a rumor when we got underway that we forgot to unload the toilet paper. And, um, so what would happen is everyone would go into the bathroom and grab a roll of toilet paper for, for their own private stash. And so then the next person would come in and see that all the toilet paper is gone and they go, the rumor must be true. So, you know, by within about two weeks into it, uh, we we ended up having uh you know everybody had forty rolls of toilet paper in the rack. There's plenty to go around, but everybody was talking about how there's a shortage of toilet paper, and we, we finally got it all straight. But it's that kind of a mentality, so that's what's going to happen. It's so like you were talking with the bread and the milk in the store. But if the trucking industry were to stop and the food were to stop coming, people are going to start looking elsewhere for for their food, and that requires looting and and other irrational behavior. <laughs> that may not be needed, but they're going to do it anyway because they're in a panic-stricken state. And I think that you know, preparing a lot of times is being able to look at the facts in the situation and saying this is a bad situation, this is a bad road to go down, and, and pulling yourself out from that to assess it properly. You can teach that to your kids. You can do it yourself. You know, If I was in the store and I saw that happening with a bunch of shopping carts and people coming and I had my wife and kids there, we would be out of there before – the third person got through the line because, I, you know, you can see something like that starting to happen and you've got to be very careful not to be caught because, uh, you know, a mob can go from, you know, stealing food to, to hitting and rioting pretty quick. And so I think it's critical that we learn those those thinking skills that we can observe what's going on, assess the situation and then take the appropriate steps and action. And that's not something just for us, it's something for our kids too. Well you know what you should do at school if you hear if you hear some loud shots what you should what should you do if you you know if you hear that a hurricane's coming or a tornado, what should you do? What are the steps that you take in these situations? you know what do I expect of you as your parent? What do I expect of you uh, or of myself? We need to go through those scenarios and think them through
0: yeah, and I think it's our you know we're we're kind of challenged, I think, as parents to make sure we're doing those things um for our children but what i love about what you're doing is involving them with the process to the level they're capable of and and i'm sure as you look at that you see that you know you might involve a 15 year old a little bit deeper than a 5 year old and that's parents all have to make those decisions for themselves but you know what you're doing with your your book and your to come more books is a great way for parents to have these conversations with young children i like that it seems like Somewhere in the future, you're moving toward, you know, like, uh, you know, Prepper Pete is kind of really cool for the young, young youngsters, but moving into something that's a little more engaging uh, for the the Harry Potter crowd, so to speak. I'm sure that's not what's in vogue anymore. But, you know, when my kid was young, that's what was in vogue is is a great, great idea because there's really nothing like that. There's plenty for adults, and there seems to be other folks doing what you're doing in this young children's space, but moving into that mid-tier space because that is – Honestly, for preparedness, for homesteading, for all the stuff we talk about, that's our future because, let's face it, old bogeys like us, we can do a lot, but we're at a point where we are somewhat set in our ways. Um, We're not forming the synapses anywhere near at the level that a teenager is and moving on to these innovative new ideas. And if we can get that generation who is desperately in need of something to do with themselves in, in a future that is very uncertain, you know, we have a lot of hope that can be generated there. So it's it's great that you're doing what you're doing.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, I'm, I've had a blast doing it. Uh, you know, it's kind of fun to watch my kids as they're growing. Um, uh, and that's kind of transformed some of what, I, what I'm writing and what I'm doing and what the future holds and so I, I hope that uh, I hope I'm just able to reach more more parents, more kids, more people, uh, and, you know. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on, on, with you on on the broadcast today. Um, I know that uh, you have a tremendous amount of people that listen that that take very seriously, and I think it's going to end up saving a lot of lives. And so that's a that's an amazing movement to be a part of. And I just hope that Prepper Pete's an example. You know, we we actually um, you probably seen on the website we have a spot people can submit ideas for future books. Um, I've gotten feedback on Prepper Pete Preparers, uh, over, uh, Avalanche Lily at Survival Blog and said, Hey, you need to take the, there's a generator on one of the pictures indoors. And so we've already made the change and turned it into a fireplace, um, because I want Prepper Pete to be a good example for kids of all ages. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of older people that I've given it to my friends that, that have kids that don't prepare and it's actually gotten them, they come kind of come back and say, Hey, tell, tell me a little more about this prepping stuff because, you know, some of the stuff you're talking about kind of makes sense. And so, you know, every every person we can bring on board into that prevents that. Uh, is one more person to help down the road. And a lot of times people say, oh, you're prepared for the zombies. I'm, I'm going to do a prep repeat in the zombies book somewhere down the road. But <laughs> it just talks about how, uh, you know, zombies are just those people that aren't prepared after an end-of-the-world scenario. Uh, you know, they're the ones that are wandering around aimlessly looking for food, looking for shelter, looking for help. That's, in my book, that's what a zombie is. Um, maybe not quite as uh, resident evil as some people would like, but, uh, but you see a lot of people describe that after the, even after the, the recent incident in the, in the Philippines, uh, one of the reporters said, you know, people are wandering around in a daze. They look like zombies. And so that's why I was kind of like, wow, that's kind of a, that's an interesting refer reference, uh, for that, but that's exactly what's going to happen. And we need to be prepared to, to deal with those people, to help them, to get them back on their feet. Um, and hopefully to, to rebuild if something were ever to happen.
0: So, Absolutely. Um, can you tell folks how they can learn more about uh, your book, Prepper Pete, and the work you're doing fo- uh, for everyone out there? Sure.
1: So uh, if they go to PrepperPeteandFriends.com, uh, there's some places there. You can see the upcoming books. we got, uh, I think, six that are listed. We've got another six or seven that are on the way. Um, we've also got Facebook.com slash prepperpeteandfriends. And, uh, we're running a campaign right now. When we get to 500 likes, we're going to give away a free copy of the next book called Prepper Pete's Gun of a Son. That's a gun safety book for kids. And then, uh, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Twitter, you know, slash Prepper Pete, but I'm not, uh, I'm not that active on Twitter, unfortunately. I, I may get there one day. But yeah, pretty much the Facebook page. If they like us, they'll get updates. Uh, they'll see when Survival Kids is coming out, those sorts of things. And so we just, we'd love to have them.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Kermit, we're, we'll have uh, links to all of that stuff in the show notes for people so they can easily find it. Uh, today's episode 1291 of the Survival Podcast, folks, you can go by there. I'm sure if you have any questions for Kermit, if you leave them in the uh, comments section, he will uh, respond to you. And uh, with that, this has been Jack Spierka today along with Kermit Jones helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. times we forget we are what we eat i don't know the answer it's like there's nothing i can do it's the price
1: we pay i guess we